to Totalus Rankium. This week, Franklin D. Roosevelt, Part 3. Ah, hello there. Welcome to American President's Totalis Rankium on St. Patrick's Day. I am Jamie. It's not, a, not offensive at all. <laughs> no, no, it's no not. No stereotypes here. Yes, sorry, you've thrown me off my, my uh, intro. It must be said. I forgot you were Irish one day, yeah. Um, <laughs> hello, welcome. That's not how I start. How do I start? Um, I'm Rob. I'm Rob, and this is American President's... Ranking all the presidents. Totalis from... ranking, ranking all the presidents from Washington <laughs> to Biden, and this is episode 32.3, Franklin Roosevelt. I kind of stumbled my way into the intro there. I I, I, no one's going to notice. It's good. Uh, whilst I'm stumbling, though, let's uh, let's talk about a stumble I did last week, or last episode. Cue oh, nice. sad music. Go on, off it goes. Yeah, this one's just a stupid one. I've made two really silly mistakes: one in the Roman and one in the American series in the last two recording sessions. Because usually, when I make a mistake, I go, "Oh yeah, I didn't spot yeah. that." These ones are things that I already knew, but I just for some reason said wrong. Is Frank and Deary's about not a president? No, not at all. Apparently oh, okay. he was an Egyptian pharaoh. It's all very confusing. Oh. No, it wasn't that. I mentioned J.P. Morgan last episode. and then, Oh, this is a Twitter message. Yeah, and then just just sort of off the cuff, it wasn't in my notes, and just, just went, oh, yeah, he's still around. Of course he's not still around. He, seriously, he was many things with J.P. Morgan, but he wasn't the undead. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, he, he's yeah, that was his son that was a reference to. Uh, yeah, oh, okay. I, I was tired. That's all I'm going to say. So I'm sorry to everyone. Um, this is a full apology. No excuses. I say after excusing myself. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it just happens sometimes. Sometimes you get the wrong J.P. Morgan. Yeah. Yeah. I did it last week. I yeah. said J.P. Oh no, it's Mum. Yeah. So there you go. So that's that correction. So now we can stop stop the sad music. There we go. That's done. And uh, now we can jump into this episode, Jamie. Wow, this one was a hard one to write. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't write it. That's all I can do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm excited to do it because it was a very interesting one to write. Okay. For reasons why I'll explain later. But let's just say, as a British person, it was very interesting writing essentially a brief timeline of World War Two from a US perspective. Pearl Harbor. <laughs> yes, we talk about that. But anyway, come on, let's do it. Let's go intro. Hitler's dead body. No. Um, I, oh, I know. I, I'm inspired by a certain advert, but I won't tell you which one. Imagine a black horse <laughs> running across a beach. <laughs> okay, this in no way fits uh, with what I had. You can go with dead Hitler if you want. <laughs> that, that would equally be hard to do. <laughs> I, was, I was kind of hoping you were just going to say a room. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I can pick... Okay, a horse running inside a room. No, no. I knocking do, knocking I about the tables, shells off the wall, people screaming. I do a horse How on the beach. How the hell did the horse get up here? It's the 58th floor. I do a horse yeah. on the beach. Right, open okay. on a horse on a beach. A black horse. Black horse on the beach. Running in slow motion. A close-up of the hooves, the sand's being kicked up arcs through <laughs> the mist it's a misty beach then cut back to the long shot it's running towards you slightly slightly to the right but generally right. towards you 
And then as it gets closer and closer, keep cutting to the hooves and then cutting to the long shot, closer and closer, hooves, long shot. And eventually the horse kind of wheels round and stops directly in front of the camera, sort of sideways, because it's wheeled round. You can just see the side of its head. So you don't get a nose in the camera? No, no, no. Side of view. But then the horse turns to you and says, do you want to hear a story? (laughs) At that point, the camera sort of moves up and down because the camera's nodding. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. One day, President Roosevelt entered a room. It was a misty room, much like this day, says the horse, sort of gesturing a hoof to the misty, (laughs) misty beach. For the reason the room was misty is that a bath had just been partaked. Partooken. You you wonder whilst the horse is talking, but second language, you forgive it. Oh yeah, fair enough. Yeah. (laughs) President Roosevelt peers through the mist, and then comes a booming voice. An English voice. Come in, come in! Quite a good impression from the horse, you're quite impressed. Yeah. FDR enters the mist, and as the mist clears, there is stood the awesome figure, I will say, of a naked Winston Churchill. Oh, oh, there's there's an image. (laughs) The horse gives you a knowing look, right down the camera. (laughs) Horse just looks down, then looks back up again and nods. (laughs) Yeah. FDR started to back out, says the horse. But Winston Churchill, Prime Minister of Great Britain, don't you know? And you think, of course I know horse, but yeah, you let him off. Come in, come in! The Prime Minister of Great Britain has nothing to hide from the President of the United States. Pop, 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 pop. <laughs> An embarrassed Roosevelt talks to Winston Churchill briefly and then exits the room. Looking says the directly horse. at the ceiling. <laughs> yes. The horse then just says, Of course, do we know if this story is true? There's another pause. Nay. Yeah. And then he trots off into the distance. He's like running away from the camera. And then yeah, after yeah. a solid five minutes of this horse getting slowly smaller and smaller, <laughs> it just explodes. <laughs> D-Day Beach. And then everyone stops <laughs> the beach. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so there we go. I should get the horse in well, did I? I did, yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm glad. Right, okay. Yeah. Oh, oh no, hang on. The, the, the sort of, the explosion happens, but then after about 30 seconds, bits of the horse start landing, and some bits of horse hit the camera, and it spells out Franklin D. Roosevelt, part three. That is amazing. Yeah, there we go. That's like a one in a million. Yeah, who, who'd have thought it? So there we go. There we go. That's our introduction. <laughs> Nice. Are you ready for this episode? I think so. On that note. So, we left on the eve of war, if you remember. Britain and France have declared war on Germany after Hitler ordered the invasion of Poland. In fact, you could argue it's not the eve of war, it's literally war, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Great Britain. Mm -hmm. Roosevelt immediately met with the press. Can we stay out of this? The press asked him. And I quote, I not only sincerely hope so, but I believe we can and every effort will be made by this administration to do so. So, Roosevelt did not want the United States fighting Old World battles. Fair enough. Fair enough. But to do that, he needed to make sure that Germany did not win. As mentioned at the end of last episode, Roosevelt was uh, very aware of the threat that the rise of uh, Nazi fascism represented. If Europe was lost, uh, they, they really would be in trouble. This, this isn't a far-off concern here. 
Uh, it needs to be defeated. However, he also doesn't want to go to war. So that's where his mindset is right now. We need to do whatever we can to make sure Germany loses short of fighting ourselves. Now, it was around this time he received a letter, a fairly simple and small letter. It was from a scientist called Szilard. He worked in this fairly new field of science, uh, nuclear Hmm. physics. Ah. Yeah. Fission. The, uh, the letter was co-signed by none other than Albert Einstein, don't you know? Oh yeah, very, very exciting. I'll quote the letter. In the course of the last four months, it has been made probable that it may become possible to set up a nuclear chain reaction in a large mass of uranium, by which vast amounts of power and large quantities of new radium-like elements would be generated. Now it appears almost certain that this could be achieved in the immediate future. This new phenomenon would also lead to the construction of bombs. And it is conceivable, Mm. though much less certain, that extremely powerful bombs of a new type may thus be constructed. A single bomb of this type carried by boat and exploded in a port might very well destroy the whole port altogether, and also with some surrounding territory. However, such bombs may well prove to be too heavy for transportation by air. FDR saw that this, this seems important, yeah, um, tell you what, we'll send it on to the boffins in the military, and uh, that'll do. Um, <laughs> someone keep an eye on that. Might be important in the future, he thought. So just just know that's ticking along in the background, albeit slowly at the moment. Uh. Yeah. Now, during FDR's fireside chat, uh, soon after this, he announced that the United States was going to remain neutral in the war. But, and I quote, even neutral has a right to take account of facts and cannot be asked to close his mind or his conscience. Mm. So, in other words, yeah, we're neutral, but we're not, we're not actually neutral, guys. But we're neutral. We yeah. know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, first thing, on the agenda... Make sure Britain gets as many arms as they possibly can to take care of this war without the US having to join. Just remember, guys, rub out the USA bit on the bombs. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely, because due to a law on the books at this moment since World War One, it was illegal to sell arms to a country in a war that you were neutral in. So the United States were not allowed to, by their own laws, sell Britain any arms. I guess a keyword of that is sell. Ah, you're onto something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that comes in a bit later if you're referring to the idea of just giving them away. Well, loaning. Yes, lend lease. We come into it. We definitely do. Oh, um, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but actually, even that wouldn't have been allowed because that would have been seen as uh, too much. They need to get this law off the books. Um, The president realises this. So he puts out some feelers. Can we get rid of this law to stop us selling to the British? Uh, There was some backlash to uh, this idea. Not everyone liked the idea of remaining neutral, or perhaps more fairly liked the idea of pretending to be neutral but actually being (laughs) on Britain's side. But if you remember Charles Lindbergh from Coolidge's episode, yeah, Yeah. you remember national hero flew solo to Paris over the Atlantic, celebrations. Massive racist. Yeah, he he was loved in Germany, he was. (laughs) I bet he was. (laughs) Oh, he certainly was. Um, Yeah, he publicly opposed the position taken by the president, claiming that the president was not being neutral at all, which is a fair enough point. Um, But then Lindbergh also argued that this was not, and I quote, a question of banding together to protect the white race against foreign invasion, but an age-old struggle within our own family of nations. 
so we should not get involved with this. It's a family squabble, not a good old race war. What's his opinion? <laughs> Huzzah! Yeah. According to Polingdon at the time, this was actually a very popular opinion in America, and the America First Committee sprung up. This was an anti-war pressure group, which uh, at its peak had 800,000 members within it. Wow. Huge, uh, wide-range coalition of people in the America First coalition, from out-and-out fascists who were supporting Germany, to out-and-out communists who didn't want a war yeah. to break out at that time, to yeah. uh, people who just said no to war, because war is obviously not a good thing. Um, no. Yeah, the, the America First Committee uh, drew in a lot of people from all walks of life. It was very popular at the time. However, FDR stuck to his guns. He even addressed Congress, which was out of session at the time, which is extremely rare. Essentially, what he said was, look, we either give the enemies of Germany and Italy some weapons now, or in a couple of years we're going to have to use them ourselves. What would you prefer to do? We can't, we can't stay out of this. It's gonna drag us in. That went down fairly well in Congress, and what went even better was another fireside chat. As we have seen before, Roosevelt was very good at getting on the airwaves, explaining what was seen as a complex situation in a way that seemed very relatable and easy to follow. People listened to his argument and were swayed very easily. Public opinion shifted rapidly, became very positive <laughs> to helping Britain. So, yeah, okay, selling arms, uh, weakening our own military sounds bad, but lots of British soldiers dying instead of our own, yeah, I can get behind that. Thought many. Now, the problem with this argument is that it opened up the line of attack on Roosevelt, which was, what, what do you mean, we either fight now or we'll be forced to fight later? Are you saying that you're willing to do some fighting? You're not saying you're going to stay out regardless? Roosevelt had to push back against this and said, and I quote, No person in any responsible place has suggested sending the boys of America to the battlefields of Europe. Making it very <laughs> clear, we're not going to go and fight. No. This is a European war. We don't want to get involved. Will not happen. Yeah. So anyway, Congress swayed, public opinion swayed, the law was repealed, shipments started up. Uh, arms rapidly start flying out of the country and towards Britain. Uh, so, Roosevelt had won what felt like his first political victory in quite a while, after a very rocky second term, if you remember. Yeah, yeah. Generally, it was first term very successful, second term, oh dear, this is going badly. But this is coming to the end of his second term, and he's finally got a victory. Which is interesting, because this is the end of his second term. Because at this point, it wasn't law, was it? It was just a, oh, no, no, no. a gentleman's thing. Washington right? said, I'm not doing a second term, because I'm knackered. Uh, oh, and also it's bad for democracy, but I'm so yeah. tired. I'm so tired. <laughs> no more. Yeah. Uh, and everyone had followed uh, his example. It makes sense if you've got a president who keeps being president. A bit dodgy. When people start talking about going on for longer than they should do. Yeah. Are we talking dictator here? Hmm. Yeah. But, like you say, it certainly wasn't a law at this time. Roosevelt told his friends how much he was looking forward to retiring, because he was really tired. <laughs> he even signed a contract with a magazine to be its editor after his term had ended, so he was making actual plans. Yeah. It wasn't just saying to his friends, ooh, I'm yeah. retiring. No, he got plans in place. On top of this, he was also worried about his health. Uh, one evening, he collapsed at dinner. Uh, just, just collapsed onto the table. Uh, doctors concluded he'd suffered a very mild heart attack. So, uh, yeah, that's not good. No. So, um, it's stress of being present. It ages you. It does. Mm. So, uh, maybe it's time to retire. 
I just can't do it, in fact, he said, when a friend mentioned the possibility of a third term. I definitely know what I want to do. I do not want to run. Pause. Unless, between now and the convention, things get very, very much worse in Europe. (laughs) Meanwhile, things were getting very, very much worse in Europe. (laughs) What became known as the Phony War... So this, if you're not into your World War II history, this was a period near the start of World War II where all sides spent a while kind of watching each other, wondering who was going to do what. Uh, Cold War style. Yeah. So much so that many people started to suspect that actually this this was going to be a a damp squib. It wasn't going to happen. It'll all be over by Christmas. Yeah. It's it's nothing. It's not going to be like the Great War again, thank God. Then that came to an abrupt end in April 1940, when Germany invaded Denmark and Norway. Both fell within two weeks. Well, Denmark fell within hours. Uh, They just folded like a flan in a cupboard. I went to a really interesting Norwegian museum about the Nazi occupation. It's really interesting. Because they had their own, like, bit like in France, had their own resistance fighters and stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's something you don't hear much of in this country, do you? You hear about the French resistance quite a bit, but not the resistance mm. of other occupied countries. No, because yeah. they would have, I imagine. Oh, yeah, yeah, they certainly would have. But, yeah, interesting. Mm. There's so much history, Jamie. <laughs> so much. I know. We'll never get through it all. Damn it. <laughs> that was the plan. <laughs> One person at a time. <laughs> yes. Uh, look forward to Baker's Totalis rank in. <laughs> anyway, the Prime Minister uh, in Britain. Who was the Prime Minister in Britain during World War Two? Everyone knows. Well, at the start of it, it was uh... Woodrow Wilson. No, what, what? No, no. <laughs> Neville Chamberlain. <laughs> That's staying in. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> There's Neville Chamberlain. Peace yes, in our course. time. Of course, peace in our time, Neville Chamberlain. Yeah, he'd been heavily criticised um, for being a little bit too weak on Hitler, shall we say, for saying things like, peace in our time, and <laughs> yeah. that Hitler chap, no way he's going to be invading anyone soon. Certainly not Poland. <laughs> he said stuff like that, and he was losing yeah. confidence in the uh, in the government. Yeah. Quite literally, if you're not from Britain, maybe you don't know, but it's an official thing. If you lose confidence in the parliament, um, you're voted yeah. out. Uh, It can happen to any Prime Minister at any time. And yeah, he was voted out. And in his place was the hard-drinking, bullish cacophony of a man, Winston Churchill. Uh, The relationship between Roosevelt and Churchill is a hugely important one, and we're not going to have time to go into all the meetings between the two in this episode, although we'll go through some. But to begin with, Roosevelt was very unsure about this Churchillian fella. In fact, I quote, I suppose Churchill was the best man England had, even if he was drunk half the time. This is what Roosevelt told his cabinet shortly afterwards, apparently, which I think (laughs) is slightly unfair to Churchill, because I'd say he was drunk far more than just half the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Meanwhile, uh, German forces had pushed into the Netherlands and Belgium. Roosevelt received his first message from the Prime Minister Churchill. After some, uh, let's just face it, some poetic waffling that Churchill loved to do. He stated simply, But I trust you realise, Mr President, that the voice and the force of the United States may count for nothing if they are withheld for too long. So in other words, come and join us. Come on. Come on. Come on. You know you want to. Come on, please. 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 Seriously, please. (laughs) Phoned up and essentially went, seriously, America, you either join now or Europe falls, and you won't like it if Europe falls. No. 
Meanwhile, the 1940s election was getting underway. Oh, I'm going to warn you now. I'm going to say the word meanwhile quite a lot. There's a lot of jumping around in this episode. But just That's just fine. go with it. It's a bit like a roller coaster. Here we go. Uh, the, the election's going on. Hey. Roosevelt obviously doesn't want to run again. No, he doesn't want to do three terms. Definitely not. In fact, he made no statement either way on whether he'd run again. Obviously, <laughs> that just led to huge speculation. Yeah. But it was becoming clearer to Roosevelt that actually, as much as he didn't want to, he was going to run again. Uh, as Germany pushed into France and pushed out the British forces in Dunkirk, it was obvious that things indeed were very, very much worse in Europe. Despite a hugely impressive propaganda push by the British government, which has actually led to a large number of the population in Britain to this day thinking that Dunkirk was an amazing victory, it was actually a catastrophic loss. Yeah, well, the victory was just getting a few soldiers back home. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It's, it's, you know, getting people back. It yeah, was, it was it was run away the best we can, um, and... Fantastic film as well. Well, yeah, look, great film. to this day, make, make hero films out of it, rather than yeah. push it under the carpet, yeah, oh dear, yeah. we lost there. Now, due to this loss, uh, Churchill sent word to FDR once more. I'll paraphrase, help. <laughs> Roosevelt rejigged some laws and declared that a large portion of arms in the military were actually surplus from World War One. Now they looked at it, yeah, <laughs> they look very shiny, sir. No, no, definitely surplus from World in War fact, One. In fact, I'm pretty sure this technology wasn't around during World <laughs> yeah, War. Shut up, shut up, Brandon. Yeah, and because of that, they were sent over at cost. There we go, making no profit. Here, have them, just buy them at cost. Britain was hugely restocked, basically regaining most of what they'd lost in France very quickly, within a couple of months. Churchill, hugely grateful for this, and praised, and I quote, the supreme act of faith that Roosevelt had shown Britain that they would be able to make good use of the weapons that had been stripped out of the US military. Mm. Italy declares war on France. Why not? Is this, when, is this Mussolini? Yeah, we're well, Mussolini point. there. Yeah. The Democratic Convention's approaching at the same time, and Roosevelt announced that Italy has stabbed France in the back. His rhetoric was becoming more and more partisan, as you may have noticed. Now, at this time, only 30% of the US population believed that the Allies could win this war. It was looking very bad at this point. But their president made it very clear to them, we're on the Allied side. I mean, we're neutral, but we're on the Allied Allied guys, yeah? (laughs) is what he said. In a masterpiece of a political move, Roosevelt then appointed two Republicans into his cabinet. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. In particular, it was in the War Department. He was making it very clear that whatever was about to happen, it's going to be a (laughs) united America that would face it. And also, it helped that this completely threw the GOP convention that was about to start. But, (laughs) they're they're our guys. You can't... Tony! (laughs) Come back, Tony! Don't cross the aisle. The GOP started to push into an American-first isolationist platform, because that was the opposite of Roosevelt. It was a very obvious way to go. Uh, But they'd missed the boat. Public opinion had shifted enough that a clear majority had started to worry that, indeed, they did need to do something about Nazi Germany here. Uh, In fact, things were moving very quickly, and in the end, the GOP nominated a compromise candidate, an ex-Democrat, in fact, called Wilkie, by ex-Democrat, as in within a year ago he was a Democrat. Yeah. Um, Also, he pretty much supported everything Roosevelt stood for. New Deal, brilliant. Fantastic. Definitely. In fact, what we should do, said Wilkie, is everything FDR's doing, but we should not go to war. (laughs) So, that was the stance that the GOP decided to go for. Paint Roosevelt as a warmonger, and uh, we'll go anti-war. 
I wonder how long it was after Pearl Harbor they said, yeah, okay. Do you want that in milliseconds? <laughs> we'll get to that quite soon, don't we? Yeah. Next up was the Democratic Convention. Now, there was obviously an isolationist movement within that party as well, and they sought to pledge that the party would not participate in any foreign wars outside the Americas. We must promise that to the electorate. Uh, Roosevelt was able to use his political clout to insert the line, except in the case of attack which becomes quite important <laughs> later on. Quite handy, yeah. Yeah. Then it came time to nominate the candidates. Now, the party was split. Roosevelt was very popular, and he could win, but he'd also shown himself to be a little bit power-hungry. And third term, really? Is this good? Mm. It's sort of tyranty, that, isn't it? Sounds a bit yeah. tyranty to me. Twelve years. That's a, yeah. That's the sign of a tyrant. The Southern Conservatives were still also very unhappy about all this progressive New Deal stuff that was going on. Um, so there was a huge faction who hated him within the Democrats. So, what was Roosevelt going to do? This is the main concern of the convention. Was he even running? He's not said anything. A couple of other prominent members of the party are running. Should we vote for them instead? Then, Roosevelt sent a message to the convention that was read out aloud. And I quote... The President has never had, and has not today, any desire or purpose to continue in the office of President, to be a candidate for that office, or to be nominated by the Convention for that office. He wishes in earnest and in sincerity to make it clear that all the delegates in this Convention are free to vote for any candidate. That's quite nice. Now, just as when the Roman Emperor Anastasius in the early 6th century stood up in the Hippodrome and announced that he would definitely abdicate as soon as the people found a better emperor, Hmm. this galvanised support immediately for FDR. Apparently there was a pause in the convention, and then suddenly someone who, let's face it, was probably waiting for his moment and... uh, was nudged in the ribs, started chanting, we want Roosevelt, we want Roosevelt, and then the whole room (laughs) shouted, we want Roosevelt, and everyone just really wanted Roosevelt after that. So there you go, he was nominated, first round, job done. Beautiful. Yeah. As the election was now between Wilkie and Roosevelt, and both supported providing arms to Britain, that just continued. Brilliant, fantastic, off that goes. Mm. Just as well, because the Battle of Britain was now underway. Uh, Again, if you're not sure about World War Two, the Battle of Britain was the fight for the air supremacy over the island nation. It was an air war over Britain. God bless the Spitfire! Exactly. Roosevelt still faced long and protracted opposition from many in both parties who did not like to see so many American arms, planes and ships being thrown into a war that, let's be honest, was probably going to be lost. Things were yeah. not looking good for the Allies at this point. However, political support came from an unexpected place, when all of a sudden, the GOP nominee, Wilkie, pointed out that Britain losing essentially meant that it would be the United States at war next. So when you've got the President and the person running against him both with the same message, public support was swung round. See, you'd never get that now. (laughs) Um, Yeah, exceptional times. That's what they were. Well, I mean, you could argue we're in, we're in exceptional times now, but then you got half the people saying, wear a mask, you're the half saying, don't wear a mask. It's not yeah. as exceptional, though, is it? Well, I guess not. Yeah, um, but I know what you mean. You get the feeling it would take a lot for the United yeah. States to unify politically at the moment. Yes. I'm not sure what would do it. It would have to be a full-on Pearl Harbor 9-11 style event, I'm guessing. Yeah. 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 That's cheery, isn't it? Anyway, <laughs> back to the history. Yeah, the draft started. 
That's nice, isn't it? Uh, no, oh, we're, we're not going to war. Why, why no. say we're going to war just because we've started a draft, a peacetime draft, the first ever peacetime draft in our history? Yeah. No, we're not going to war. But just in case, you know, <laughs> don't want to get caught out, do we? So peacetime draft, that starts up. Then, shortly after this, the world learnt that Japan had been talking to Germany and Italy. What? said many people. The three had decided that if any of the others were invaded by a country currently at peace, the other two nations would step in. And after signing the treaty, Germany, Japan and Italy then all turned and gave a very meaningful stare at the United States. Yes, we're talking about you. Who? Me? (laughs) Now, by this point, the GOP had turned more and more anti-war in an attempt to take votes off Roosevelt, who was doing marginally better than Wilkie, Mm. so they start going more and more anti-war as they go on. The announcement of the Tripartite Act between Germany, Japan and Italy did the GOP no favours. This this sounded like war was inevitable. Uh, Roosevelt was therefore favourite to win. And uh, indeed he did. It wasn't even close. Not quite the same landslide as the last one, but still 27 million to 23 million votes. Wow. 449 electoral college votes to 82. Pretty good wipeout. Oh, it certainly is. So whether the United States were going to be dragged into the war or not, Roosevelt was going to be the one to lead them. Well, at the moment, with their, like, tri trifecta group, whatever you called it. There's only one word to describe America. Surrounded. Um, yeah. Got Japan on one side. Ooh, yeah, 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 it's not good. What's also not good, the Blitz. That starts. Um, hey, Coventry, <laughs> woo! Yeah, yeah, well, for various reasons, including the loss of the Battle of Britain and then the British bombing Berlin, uh, Hitler switched strategies and started targeting industrial sites in Britain, which also happened to be civilian hubs, because why not damage the morale at the same time? So, yeah, night after night, for weeks, London's bombed various other cities, uh, including the city that you're in now, and the city I'm not far from. So, uh, the Blitz is going on. Churchill let Roosevelt know the stark truth. We've run out of money, he said. In a couple of months, we can no longer pay you for any arms. So, Roosevelt used his post-election high to push for the uh, thing you predicted earlier, the Lend-Lease Scheme. Britain would be lent arms, and as long as they promised to give them back after the war, no charge. (laughs) It might be a bit trapnelised, but we'll (laughs) definitely send it back. Fine, just wipe a bit of the blood off. Good as new. There we go. Be fine. Details could be ironed out later. It's fine. Uh, Another fireside chat got the public on board with this. Nearly 70% approved of the Lend-Lease scheme, which is impressive. I mean, 70% approval rate in anything is good. This was mostly because they saw it as a way of staying out the war, which 80% of the country still believed was the most important thing. So, whatever you say, Roosevelt, as long as we stay out the war, we'll support you. Then the Nazis invade Russia. Oh, dear. Yeah, Hitler never played Risk. Um, (laughs) Thought it would be a good idea to invade Russia. Never heard of this Napoleon chap either, apparently. Where should you go, sir? Midwinter. (laughs) Well, invading Russia proved a bit of a problem for Roosevelt. His immediate response was, well, now we need to aid Russia, because Russia is now fighting Germany. Churchill had announced pretty much that. He said something along the lines of, I'm no fan of communists, but they're fighting Germany, so we will support them. The problem in the United States, however, is that communist Russia had been the bogeyman since World War I in that country, more yeah. so than in Britain. Fears of a revolution still lived on, and many saw communism as a far greater threat than the genocidal racism of Nazi Germany. Let dog eat dog was essentially the attitude. In fact, I'm quoting <laughs> a senator there. Let um, them kill each other. Yeah. 
Again, however, Roosevelt was able to use his fireside chat to help sway public opinion. Staying out the war was the most important thing, I know you all think that, but if you want that, we must help the Russians. If the Russians fall, Europe falls, we get dragged into the war. Are you with me? Uh, and it turned out they were. The law went through, Russia became eligible for Lend-Lease as well, so they were getting a nice. huge amount of arms from America. Japan's up next. Whistle stop tour uh, today. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a huge debate in Japan at this point, um, which the United States were on top of because they had broken the Japanese diplomatic code, which is nice. Uh, so they could listen in and figure out what was going on. Um, now, hugely simplifying here. There was a pro-peace faction within the Japanese government, uh, but they'd been defeated. And now, the only argument in Japan was whether they should push north, join Germany in invading Russia, or go south and claim the natural resources of Southeast Asia by taking them off the United States and European powers. Ooh. Yeah. Which, uh, obviously I know how big Russia is and how much land it spans, and obviously I know you've got Japan on one end and you've got Europe on the other end, but still, it's still, when you hear of World War Two and how Japan was thinking of joining in Germany's invasion of Russia, yeah. it's like, Russia's a big place. It's massive. <laughs> it really is. Anyway, they decide uh, to go south. They go, short version of that. Because <laughs> yeah. believe me, there's more of it. They decide not to go uh, into Russia. Well, sort of. They did go into Russia for a bit and had their asses kicked, essentially. Uh, so they decided to go south. And uh, news reaches America that Japan have taken, by force, French Indochina, which uh, essentially is roughly where modern Vietnam is, so okay. in that region. Uh, Roosevelt was pressured to stop selling Japan oil. Now, Roosevelt didn't want to do this. Uh, he really resisted doing this because he realised if he stopped selling Japan oil, Japan would only have 5% of their oil. They got 95% of their oil from America. Ooh. If you take 95% of a country's oil off them, they don't sit down and go, sorry. <laughs> they go and find oil from somewhere. Yeah. It will escalate. This will lead to war, was yeah. Roosevelt's argument. So he didn't want to do this, but Roosevelt, uh, for a change, saw public opinion move away from him. Many saw selling to Japan as appeasement. It's like they're threatening our land in the Philippines, and you want to keep selling them oil to do it. Uh, a majority of the country, or to be fair, only just a majority, but it was a majority, preferred war to allowing Japan to get more powerful. Wow. The long history of racism on the West Coast against the Japanese certainly helped the idea that Japan would be a quick, easy victory, and not like getting into war with a European power. No, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. be over by Christmas, that one would be. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Meanwhile, Roosevelt decided to meet up with Churchill. It's time we meet in person, he said. Oh. Yes. So the two met in secret, Churchill braving the crossing of the Atlantic that was full of German submarines at this time. Essentially, the plan was, well, the boat we're on is quite quick, so the submarines probably won't be able to catch us. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't just Churchill either. It was several high-up people in, in the army and the navy. If that shit went down, wow. there would have been real trouble. But, yeah, yeah. they did it. Um, anyway, in one of the most fortuitous chances for the Allies in the entire war, uh, it turns out that Roosevelt and Churchill got on really well, personally. The war would have made, had a very different path had the two leaders not gone on, I yeah. imagine. They were on first-name terms within one meeting, and they were laughing and joking by the end of their time together. Now, the two were nothing like each other. Roosevelt was very easygoing, chatty, early to rise, early to go to bed. Yeah. 
martini in the evening, friendly uncle, uh, but without the sinister overtones. <laughs> Churchill, on the other hand, was... Well, he was Churchill, he was bombastic. Uh, he got up near midday, drank his way through the day, occasionally having naps, then really getting to work in the evening until about three or four in the morning. But despite the differences, the two respected each other and got on personally. Uh, from this point on in the war, the ties between Britain and the United States were closer due to the ties of the leaders. Special relationship. Well, yes, you, you <laughs> can argue this is the closest the two countries have ever been. Yeah. So it was decided in this meeting that a Hitler-first policy was going to be taken by Britain and the United States. Take Hitler down first, and then Italy and Japan would follow. He's the real powerhouse here. Take the head oh, off yeah. the snake. Now, to do that, what we need to do is control the Atlantic. We can control the Atlantic. We can control. Yeah. Uh, we can control all the shipping to Germany. We can just cut them off. Now, the United States were not at war. We're definitely not at war, everyone. Stop saying nope. we're at war. We're not at war. Yeah. Um, but I didn't declare anything. Yeah. Did you? Uh, this this isn't a declaration of war. This is this is a charter. That's what this is. Mm. It's an Atlantic charter. It just makes note that um, the United States were going to be doing a bit of patrolling in the Atlantic. You know, they might just be. What's up? They might be near some some British ships, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. You never know. Uh, and if anyone attacks, then obviously we'll defend ourselves. We're not at war. Why yeah, would you say that? Not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Germany we took fishing boats. Germany took note. Um, and soon afterwards, German submarines started targeting US ships, protecting the British supply vessels. Oh. Roosevelt then declared a shoot on sight policy. Not war. Not war, no. no. No, it's just if we see a German or Italian ship in American waters, and by American waters, what I mean is the Atlantic, um, <laughs> then we will shoot it on sight. Yeah, it's not war, though. No, no. <laughs> Stop saying we're at war. The events in the Atlantic were taking up a lot of Roosevelt's time, as you can imagine. Presiding over a not war takes up a lot of time. Uh, <laughs> but his cabinet also kept mentioning Japan. It's like every now and again. They'd pop their heads around the corner. About Japan, sir, they'd say. Oh, fine side, Roosevelt. Yeah, I should probably pay attention to this. Now, while he was meeting with Churchill, uh, which I just mentioned, a sub-cabinet committee led by the future Secretary of State named Axon, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, well, he had discovered something. As the chair for the cabinet committee, he, he realised a bit of small print, he had the legal power to stop all oil exports to Japan. Oh. Now, oh. I'm simplifying this story slightly, but essentially, yeah. someone on a small committee realised, hang on, if I just don't sign this document, we will stop selling oil to Japan. And uh, he happened to be a bit of a war hawk, and he did not want to sell oil to Japan. So he stopped all of America selling war to Japan. Ah. Yeah. Uh, public opinion was with this, because, like I said, many saw selling oil as appeasement. So Roosevelt decided, I can't fight this. I can't go back on it. It's done. What's done is done. Okay, Japan, no more oil. Japan found themselves with only 5% of the oil they were relying on. Um, it was hoped that this would cripple the country's economy. So uh, fingers crossed there. That's the last we hear from Japan. Brilliant. Great. Huzzah. 
And, to be fair, there was some attempts to call things between the two countries from both nations, but the diplomatic channels were not particularly strong. The Hawk factions in both countries had pretty much managed to take dominance by this point. Roosevelt himself wanted to return to a pre-embargo stance, so can we pretend that didn't happen, everyone? But no, wasn't going to happen. Roosevelt suggested that Japan would be sold oil once more, but Japan would promise not to invade any more southern islands in the Pacific. And with Pinky just, promise. And we just won't say anything about China, which might annoy some of our allies, especially China. Uh, but <laughs> uh, we'll just, just stay quiet about that one. How about that, Japan? Said, said Roosevelt. But it, it was too late, too little. The diplomatic channels yeah. were shutting down. Although many in the US military supported Roosevelt's suggestion on this, uh, because it gave them more time to prepare for any fighting, especially in Europe. Uh, Again, most people in the United States, and also most of United States allies, including Britain, uh, thought that this was far too soft on Japan. We need to go in harder. Then an internal clock in Japan ran out. Those advocating for peace in Japan had essentially been given a deadline to achieve it. Fine, you want peace, you've got until this date. After that, the gloves are off. The date came, the date went. Those advocating for peace in Japan failed. The Hawk faction took over once more. Now, due to the code-breaking, Roosevelt was aware of this and said, and I quote, we are likely to be attacked perhaps as soon as next Monday. So they knew an attack was coming. But no one was expecting what was actually going to happen. Most thought that Japan was going to attack a US ally in the region. Yeah. There's a lot of islands being held by European powers in that region. Then again, we have annoyed them personally, so there is a chance that they might actually directly attack the United States by attacking the Philippines. Less likely, but we need to be prepared. They might attack us directly in the Philippines. One of our colonies very far away. Yeah. Yeah. The thought of Pearl Harbor in Hawaii simply didn't occur to anyone, or at least it didn't occur to anyone who could have done anything about it. I'm sure afterwards many people said, oh no, I knew it was going to happen, but the reality is that the people who should have known didn't know. Now, the first plane to take flight from a ship, you'll be interested to know, I'm sure, took place in what year? Oh, like an aircraft carrier? Yeah, yeah. I imagine it's not, I don't know, I can't guess. No, so in my head, they're quite modern, so this, uh, this sort of time. But, well, um, that was my thought process whilst doing my notes, so I looked it up. 1912, apparently, was the first ever plane launched from a ship, which is wow. uh, interesting. When you say launch, did it fly? <laughs> it was a tall ship, and it was blowy. <laughs> but no, 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 it took off and everything, and perhaps even landed. Well, definitely landed, but maybe landed correctly. Who knows? So, <laughs> I, this isn't brand new technology, but... To this scale, it's brand new technology. This is a new type of warfare. Uh, On December the 7th, 1941, Japanese bombers that had crossed a huge, vast ocean Mm. attacked a completely unprepared naval base. Nearly 2,500 people died. 175 aircraft were destroyed. About the same again crippled. 18 warships lost. Pearl Harbor, that's what it's known as, or the attack Mm. on Pearl Harbor. Big deal in American history. Yeah. A shocked Roosevelt was informed of the damage. He met with his war council and arranged various troop redeployments, like you do, in a kind of horses-already-bolted kind of way. Then Churchill was on the blower. Uh, Is this true? 
said Churchill. We're getting reports. What? what? He said, which was translated for interpreter to mean, have you been attacked? Yes, it was true, Roosevelt confirmed. Churchill, probably trying to hide his smile, simply stated, well, that certainly simplifies things. Oh. Yes. To be fair, Roosevelt had just said we're in the same boat now, so... Um, yeah. But yeah, this was, although obviously tragic for America, Britain saw this as ultimately good news because finally they're going to get some support, which they desperately needed. Yeah. Yeah. Churchill later stated that the United States was like a giant boiler. Once the fire is lighted under it, there is no limit to the power it can generate. Pop, pop, pop. He said. And the fire was certainly lit. Oh, yes, it was. <laughs> so far, Roosevelt had been battling, and to be fair, winning public support with the whole we're not going to go to war, so we need to support our yeah. allies argument. The, the policy was very clear. We provide aid so we don't have to fight. It was a continuous political battle to keep this pr- approach afloat, and it was not an easy one. But now, practically the entirety of the political spectrum swung into line. The America First faction just collapses instantly. Well, it would. (laughs) Well, yeah. It was with an overwhelming support that Roosevelt asked Congress to declare war on Japan. Which they do. Days later, staying true to the tripartite pact, Germany and Italy declare war on the United States. Roosevelt thought back to that letter about nuclear physics and bombs and made sure someone was still on that. Someone's still doing yes. that thing with the, the scientists and the bombs and the... Yeah, Tony! Tony! You still working on the bombs? Guy really frazzled, like, you know, charred face. The bomb that can blow up, like, three or four ships at a time. Is someone still on that? <laughs> yeah, someone was still on it. And they yeah. made sure that more people were on it and then they poured some money into it and... Named an operation uh, and named it. This is called the Manhattan the Manhattan Project. Project yes, what? yes. It's uh, it suddenly had a project name that sounded cool and everything, so that's now working. Within weeks of the declaration of war, German submarines attack the east coast of the United States. Wow. Yes, this is something. Incidentally, if you're American, you don't hear about in Britain. No. 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 This, this was full-on German submarines in the harbor of New York. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the United States Navy were not prepared in the slightest. In early 1942, nearly 250 merchant ships were sank before a single German submarine was destroyed. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And it was through these waters, full of the German submarines, that Churchill came along again. Ah, oh, hello. It's fine, we're, we're on a fast ship, they won't catch us. Valuable <laughs> <Bally> sure. Um, <laughs> Whiskey. This time, he came right into America, rather meeting Roosevelt up in Canada. He came to stay in the White House of all places. Yeah. Yes, they were going to discuss the next moves. Churchill was shown to the room that he was going to stay in and said something along the lines of, what well, this won't do. And then he stormed around the White House, trying the beds, all the beds, until he found one he liked and then declared that's where he'd be staying. Uh, He then let it be known he expected sherry before breakfast, scotch before lunch, and champagne and brandy in the evening. Make sure it's always there, please. A shocked White House staff (laughs) were even more amazed when they discovered that Churchill actually seemed to remain sober throughout the day. Churchill was a serious drinker. One of those serious drinkers had become fairly immune to to being obviously drunk. Don't get me wrong, he was certainly drunk all the time, but he wasn't obviously drunk. Fat Churchill wrote home to the current Deputy Prime Minister, Labour's Clement Attlee. Oh, yes. I quote, We live here as a big, happy family. 
he said, writing with one hand whilst toweling himself off with another hand, and this is when Roosevelt walked into the room. Splendid. Yes. The horse, by the way, at the start, saying, are we sure this really happened? Nay. Well, there's a reason why that. Uh, Churchill later denies this story. He said it didn't happen. Ah. But someone close to Roosevelt later claimed that they had talked to Roosevelt after it had happened, and Roosevelt was talking about how shocked he was. So, uh, one word against another. I don't know, you get the impression if it had happened, Churchill would have just said, yes, it happened, though. But I don't know, maybe maybe Churchill didn't like the idea of uh, people talking about him flapping in the breeze. Yeah, because it doesn't make him look great, but he doesn't seem to care, does he? Cause he's known to be a bit eccentric with his... Oh, Japanese style dressing gown and slippers. Churchill cigar was. And... Churchill was many things. <laughs> yes, That's what I'm going to say. A complex character, should we say that? Many layers. Yes, that's what he had. Anyway, Churchill had a great time in the United States. <laughs> After all, he was uh, it's half American. His mother was American. Mm. Uh, his huge, huge history buff, as uh, as many people know. Uh, loved the Civil War, as in the American Civil War. Quite often would correct people on dates if they were talking about the Civil War, including Roosevelt one day, who was talking about something (laughs) that happened in the Civil War. Apparently Churchill didn't even look up from the paper he was reading and just corrected the date. Um, (laughs) It was actually a Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, he, he had a good time. He was invited to speak to a joint session of Congress, the first foreigner allowed to do so since Lafayette in 1824. So, hero of the Revolutionary War. Now, you can accuse Churchill of many things. You certainly can. Many, many (laughs) things you can accuse him of. But one (laughs) thing he undoubtedly did incredibly well was give a speech. And wow, did Congress love his speech. He pointed out that if his dad had been American rather than his mother, he probably would have ended up in Congress himself. And everyone (laughs) cheered. Anyway, his trip ended with the British and the United States agreeing that the next step was to invade North Africa. That's the next step. Considering at this present time the United States really wanted to invade Europe, and Britain wanted to invade North Africa, Churchill could chalk that one up as a win. Around this time, Roosevelt signed into existence Executive Number 9066. Ah, yes. Yeah famous 9066. Yeah. Now how we were talking about light-hearted stories about Churchill being in the nude. Yeah. yeah. This one's not light-hearted. Executive Order 9066 is fairly wordy. I was trying to find a nice quote um, that could just sum it up. Uh, but it, it just doesn't work. If you read the whole thing, there isn't one quote that works. So I'm going to paraphrase instead. War means that we need to protect ourselves against sabotage. So, round up anyone who looks like they might sabotage our war plans. Of course, there was further subtext. Yeah. By anyone who looks like they might sabotage war plans, what they meant, of course, was anyone who looks Japanese. Ooh. Yes. Yeah, because this is um, George Takei, the actor that plays Sulu. This is, he grew up in an internment camp. Did he? Yes. I did not know that. Yeah. Interesting. There um, well, there you go. Yeah. Sorry, spoiler, internment camps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the order didn't state... Uh, countries or states, uh, but it was indeed overwhelmingly the Japanese who were rounded up and put in internment camps. So let's face it, they were concentration camps. Um, yeah. yeah, It's a nasty sounding word, but let's not beat around the bush here. That's what they were. Uh, Italians and Germans, in theory, were rounded up as well. And, ah, but they're white. Well, well, some of them were. In fact, roughly 10% of people who were rounded up 
were Italian or German. So as you can see, yes, they did get caught slightly, but 90% of people were Japanese. A huge percentage of that Japanese population who were rounded up were American citizens as well, yeah. which is a distinction, but not a hugely important one. You're rounding people up, you're rounding people up. But it is interesting to note that these were actual American citizens being rounded up here. So, why did over 100,000 people end up in concentration camps all over America? Because they looked foreign. Yes! Uh, well, uh, yes, um, but let's go into it a bit more detail. Uh, it was mainly the age-old refusal to believe that your country could lose in a fair fight. You remember how many times in our Roman series, when the Romans lost a battle, the yeah. Emperor would always explain how they lost, because someone had sabotaged. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, we, we didn't lose. Someone betrayed us from our own ranks because either... They cheated. Yeah, we're either so good that we always win or we're so good that some of our ranks are so good at sabotaging their causes to lose. There's no way the enemy defeated us. I'm just making that really clear. Well, that was generally the, uh, the mindset after Pearl Harbor. There was no way we could have been so incompetent or unaware in Pearl Harbor. There's no way... So there must have been Japanese forces working within right. the United States. It is the only explanation. And it was true, because a commission looked into what happened in Pearl Harbor and reported that, yes, indeed, there were American citizens with Japanese ancestry who had secretly worked with the Japanese government. Now, I mean, they provided no evidence, of course. No. No. Uh, but that didn't matter, because the commission said that it was true. Uh... Yeah. Um... It, it wasn't true. No evidence has ever surfaced whatsoever that there was ever any sabotage from an American citizen no. in regards to Pearl Harbor. It just, as far as historians can tell, it's just completely not true. As per usual, in times like this, the Constitution proved to be utterly useless. I yeah. will quote the Assistant Secretary in the War Department. If it is a question of safety of the country or the Constitution, why, the Constitution is just a scrap of paper to me. Ooh. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the War Department asked Roosevelt whether they should indeed round up the Japanese population in America because, you know, they look different, don't they? And uh, they look a bit like the enemy. Ooh. Roosevelt essentially said, this is a military matter, it's your call. For national security, lock them up. Well, the War Department decided, yes, it was necessary. So FDR said, fine, if you think so, and he signed the executive order. So there you go. Ooh. Just like that, tens of thousands of American citizens overnight found their land confiscated off them. It wasn't just, come over, we're going to put you in a camp. It was, you need to sell all your belongings first. Wow. You've got a business, it's gone. If you've got a fridge, sell it. So you at least you've got something, because you can't bring your fridge with you, so you might as well sell it. Of course, if everyone's selling their fridges, what happens to the price of fridges? They go down. Yeah, so literally you got people touring the Japanese neighbourhoods, buying furniture off Japanese families for a pittance. Anyway, the uh, Japanese families were then taken to uh, barns, or just general livestock areas, because why not? Um, because you need somewhere to keep them whilst the concentration camps are being built. Uh, once the camps were built, oh. uh, the uh, families were then forced on trains and trucks and placed within the camps under armed guard. They were then paid to work. Look at that, they were paid to work. Not barbarians. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it was next to nothing, as you can imagine. Medical care was provided, as long as someone who had been rounded up and put in the camp happened to be a doctor, because we're not actually going to give you a doctor. By provided, <laughs> I mean look after yourselves. 
So there you go. That happened. Mm. We've seen worse in the podcast, but... We have. It's up it, there. It, it's um, There's almost like a parallel line going with some of the stuff. Yeah, uh, you, yeah. You could argue. Certainly. Um, and some of the stuff going on in Europe as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not as killy, but... <laughs> no, but... I mean, it's a step along the line, isn't it? A disturbingly close it's, step. It's uh, a footstep towards Yeah. Uh, Roosevelt later said he regretted, and I quote, the military necessity imposed upon these people. That's still a justification. Though. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. That is a, I'm sorry, but it had to happen. Yeah, his attitude was always, the military said it had to be done, so it had to be done. That's his, he's losing a few We'll come back disgrace. to this in, uh, in statesmanship. Yeah. Uh, anyway... The Supreme Court, you'll be pleased to know, obviously there is a third branch of government. Supreme Court is there to balance things, see sense and see if things uh, are backed by the Constitution. Obviously, rounding people up who are American citizens is against the Constitution. That is very clear, surely. Mm. Yeah, apparently not. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Despite the fact throughout the war, like I say, no proven case of espionage against any American citizen of Japanese heritage was ever proven. Um, yeah, the Supreme Court backed it, saying it's simply part of war. Oh, cause, yeah, but that then goes into... That can then be used in future court cases, can't it? Well... About time of war now, so it is, take uh, what you want. It is interesting to note the speed with which America backtrack from this. We have seen some atrocities in the past, and we have yeah, seen yeah. apologies, but usually like a century or more after the fact... We're talking yeah. like Clinton or Bush or someone making the apology. <laughs> yeah. 1976, President Ford apologises. We now know what we should have known then. Not only was that the evacuation was wrong, but Japanese Americans were and are loyal Americans. So just over 30 years. Yeah, got, yeah. yeah. Within the I lifetime, mean, definitely. That, that said, it does highlight the fact it was Yeah, pe- it was people realised that this was wrong. But people back things in wars that they wouldn't dream of backing yeah. in peacetime. It's very easy to get things done as a government during wartime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, back to the war. Things aren't going well uh, in the Atlantic or the Pacific. Roosevelt wanted a morale boost. Things aren't going well. Any chance, lads, he said uh, to the armed forces. Uh, could we bomb Tokyo? Is that a thing that we can do? I know it's really far away, but they got to Pearl Harbor. Can we get to Tokyo? Might need a big bomb. Well, he was told, yes, we can. Just, we think, maybe. It's risky. <laughs> uh, so risky, we're not actually going to test it first. We're just going to go for it, because... Uh... <laughs> Any volunteers? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, they had plenty of volunteers. They didn't all get yeah. back. Um, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They bombed Tokyo. It wasn't hugely successful in terms of uh, a military win. It did very little to Japan's war infrastructure, but it certainly did give America a morale boost. It did what Roosevelt wanted to do, which was make the United States look like they were doing something. See, again, it's I didn't know. I didn't know that they essentially blitzed <laughs> Japan. Yeah, they yeah, I mean, it to. certainly is not to the extent that the way European countries are bombing each other at this time, no. but yes, there, there was bombing over Tokyo at this time. Far more important, however, in the war between uh, Japan and America was the Battle of Midway. I've heard the name. Yeah, now again, being born in Britain, everyone knows that World War II was between Britain and Germany only, and America turned <laughs> up near the end. That's, that's yeah. how you're taught in Britain. Um, <laughs> so I'm guessing if you're taught in America, the Battle of Midway is definitely more important. Uh, the, hmm. the whole 
specific theatre just is not mentioned. Uh, uh, Sorry, I should be clearer. It's not mentioned as much, obviously, as mentioned, but it really isn't mentioned as much uh, in in Britain, uh, because obviously Britain weren't involved in that part. But yeah, no, this was a hugely important battle in the entire war, because it was in the middle of the Pacific. It was a new form of battle. This was aircraft carrier versus aircraft carrier. This was not ships firing upon each other, this was ships being miles away from each other and sending planes at each other to try and bomb the other ships. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah, brand new warfare. Unlike Pearl Harbor, the United States learnt of the planned attack before it happened, so they were essentially able to ambush the Japanese, which uh, is impressive on sea, because usually we've seen loads of ambushes in our Roman series, and that's usually because the Roman army hide behind a bush or something. Um, But no bushes in the sea, so, I don't know, big wave, maybe. Well, you get seaweed. Yeah, maybe that. But yeah, they ambush the Japanese, and uh, the Japanese lose heavily. They never recover. Uh, really? Their navy certainly doesn't. And the powerhouse of the United States industry, which is in full swing by this point, was able to rebuild any losses on their side in a very short amount of time. The Japanese couldn't replace what they had. The war in the Pacific was far from over, but from this point on, the United States are advancing at every point. Meanwhile, Stalin, back to Russia. Uh, Yes, Ah. (laughs) Stalin got in contact with Roosevelt. Thanks for the Lend-Lease, he said. Brilliant, really useful, we're loving that. But is that... I appreciate your capitalist ideologies, thank you. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Incredibly helpful. Uh, But is there any chance of opening up a second front in Europe anytime soon? Uh, This was the same expression he used, same intonation. He was famous for it. We could really do with drawing off some of the German forces. We're really suffering some casualties over here. Don't know if you've noticed. So, second front in Europe? Don't know? Maybe? Anytime soon, guys? Anytime. Ah, go on. Any, ah, go on. Anytime. In fact, he said, and I quote, If you postpone your decision, you will eventually have to bear the brunt of war. And if Hitler becomes master of this continent next year, it will be unquestionably tougher than this year. Not Stalin, sorry. His ambassador said that. Right. The voice of Stalin. <laughs> Big metal helmet. Yeah, big oversized big mouth. Oversized mouth. Yeah, that was the yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, so pretty much the same kind of thing that Churchill's been saying for the last couple of years. Uh, Roosevelt was sympathetic and replied, "Yes, of course, you're right. We need to open up a second front in Europe. We will do it this year." And he looked over at the calendar. 1942 was written on it, and lots of dramatic mm-hmm. irony happened to people watching from the future. Churchill then heard of this and said something along the lines of what, 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 what? and then choked, <laughs> choked into his brandy he did. Uh, yeah. what, what do you mean you've told Stalin we're going to invade Europe this year? Have you not noticed the year is 1942 and anyone from the future can tell you that's not when we do it. We don't have the landing craft, your troops aren't ready and our troops are spread too thin. We can't invade Europe right now. If we're going to invade Europe, and I'm not saying that we should in any particular way yet, but if we do, it needs to be a big push, not a rushed half measure. Hitler's fortified Europe. It's like we just need to attack one beach at some point somewhere. One point with everything we've got. That's what we need to do. Wait a year or two, build up the forces, attack. Meanwhile... That's surprisingly hesitant for Churchill, but I well, guess he's... Meanwhile, no, there let's go. <laughs> take North Africa like we agreed. Softer ah. target, and also has yeah. the huge advantage that it means we'll be fighting in all these places that people learn about whilst doing classics. <laughs> Far more exciting fighting in all the places that the Greeks and the Romans did than, what, in Normandy? Who's ever fought in Normandy? 
No one's ever going to remember it's, Normandy, are they? Yes, it's a dreary, wet yeah. seaside town. I went there a few yeah. years ago. I want to go and take Sicily. That's what I yeah. want to do. Like the first Slave Punic revolt. War. That's what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, perhaps being a bit flippant here, there were obviously military reasons to take North Africa as well, but it should be pointed out that Britain saw it as far more important than Russia and America, who really thought that, you know, Europe, where Hitler is, maybe we should be like attacking there. Well, it's the Hitler first policy as well, you could say. Look, it's, well, it's yeah. Hitler, look. There is, there is that argument. There's um, Hitler's face, there's the arrow. Roosevelt uh, was convinced by Churchill. You make a, a good point, he said. Not all his staff were. There were still many high up uh, in America going, no, Europe, Europe, Europe. Yeah. Uh, but Roosevelt was convinced, and like I say, this relationship between Churchill and Roosevelt hugely important. Mm. However, the problem with not invading Europe after I told Stalin that we would, someone now needs to go to Moscow and tell Stalin we're not invading Europe. Volunteers. <laughs> Anyone? Right. No. Churchill, you're the one who said we're not going to do it, so you go and tell Stalin. Churchill goes off to Russia to smooth the ruffled feathers. Stalin, to his credit, saw the wisdom of delaying. Okay, fair mm. enough. I won't kick that up a big sense. fuss. He essentially said, I'm not happy about this, but I understand your reasoning. Okay. So, no falling out of the alliance. That's good. Yes. In November 1942, the Allies invade North Africa. Morocco and Algeria were soon taken. Roosevelt sent word to Franco in Spain. We stayed Mm. out of your civil war, Franco, so why don't you stay out of this? Paraphrasing. Yeah. Fair enough, came the reply. Direct quote. Maybe. Uh, And then (laughs) things start moving even quicker, if things weren't moving quickly enough. Hitler finds out about this, not happy, so he decides to take the rest of France. Oh, see, yeah, he said she left southern France to rule themselves, didn't he? There's there's nothing down there but sunflowers, you guys carry on. It's it's essentially Spain down there anyway, so, yeah, yeah. bits of Italy, who cares? Uh, But no, the rest of France is his now, if you're going to invade North Africa. I'm taking France. Meanwhile, the Allied forces were moving across North Africa, doing fairly well, short version of that. The Russians won a huge victory in Stalingrad, short version of that. And in the Pacific, the long-drawn-out island hopping started, when the United States took Guadalcanal, as shown in the HBO miniseries The Pacific. I've just searched that on Amazon. I'm going to buy it. Have you not seen that? Still not, no. Wow, but you love Band of Brothers. I know, I've just never bothered to watch it. It's not quite as good, but it is still very good. And I will say the best way to watch Band of Brothers and The Pacific, by far, is chronologically. Work out when each episode takes place in both series, and then watch both series. Hopping between the two. I assume you have a system for that that you will share with me later on. I typed into Google, Band of Brothers Ah. specific chronological order watching, and obviously there are other geeky people in the world, even geekier than I, who have typed it out and everything. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, there were a couple of debates because some episodes span a bit of time. Um, But yeah, no, it's it's the better way to do it. Because the Pacific has a bit of a lull in it. It Mm. drags for a couple of episodes, but that gets broken up if you watch it chronologically. So yeah, it's good stuff. So I used to think about Band of Brothers with the episode, you know, when they're in the, the, the frosty, cold forest. Oh, best episode. But that's, yeah, I know, it's amazing. Love, love that episode. Yeah. Anyway, right, right. Well, all that's, Sorry, ha- all, actually, that's not happening yet. That happens later. No. But the start of the Pacific's happening now. Anyway, uh, what I'm trying to say is that there's fighting all over the world. There's a reason they call it World War. North Africa, all but one. So Britain wants to take Sicily at this point. 
ensure the Mediterranean is entirely theirs. As we have found in our other podcast, if you've got Sicily, you've got the channels in the Mediterranean. Meanwhile, Russia and the United States went back to talking about crossing the channel into France. Can we talk about that now, please? However, Eisenhower, the man in charge of the United Forces in North Africa at this time, informed the president, well... As much as you're talking about going into France, either way, we won't be ready to invade across the Channel until 1944 at the earliest, because we need to consolidate all our forces and strike at one point. So, with a bit of a sigh, it was decided, fine, let's take Sicily, let's stay in the Mediterranean. Anyway, back to the Atlantic. Still naval warfare going on in the Atlantic, remember. The submarine war is raging on. The Germans have over 200 submarines operational at this point. They're doing a huge amount of damage. Britain cracked the Enigma code. Yes, they did. Yeah. Alan um, Turing. Yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch cracked the code. He was there as well. Uh, Great, brilliant news. Uh, Fantastic news. Less less good than perhaps modern films and knowledge has made out because, uh, yeah, it's great we've cracked the code, but the Germans had already cracked ours and it just meant that everyone could read each other's messages by this point, so it kind of cancelled everything out. I mean, yes, it's good, but it's not as good as it could have been. Still, not bad, not bad. Not going brilliantly, though, so in an attempt to shift the tide, Roosevelt ordered six aircraft carriers from the Pacific to the Atlantic. We've got some aircraft carriers, and the German submarines were very vulnerable to air attack because they could not stay underwater indefinitely, so they had to surface, and when they did, uh, well, those planes could rip them apart. I imagine as well they're probably not they probably can't go as deep as they yeah, would like yeah. to so these uh, these aircraft carriers even if we only bring six over we could do some significant damage thinks Roosevelt and those advising him right. reaction from the military was very mixed depending on which theatre of war they were currently engaged in <laughs> <laughs> yeah I can imagine a range between what do you mean you're taking six aircraft carriers to <laughs> brilliant six aircraft carriers <laughs> either way it, the move certainly helped the Atlantic War uh, the amount of German submarines sank in a month increased fourfold from eight to over 40 wow yeah the German admiral uh, in charge of the submarines uh, realised oh dear if this goes on much longer we'll have no submarines left damn it, but we're going to have to withdraw the submarines, otherwise they're just going to get oh. wiped out. So there you go, within just a few months, the Atlantic had been pretty much won. The sea lanes yeah. were open between the United States and Britain. Excellent. Now we can get food again! Yes. Meanwhile, back home, industry had hit its stride. Tanks and aircraft and arms were flying off the shelves. The United States quickly decided on a policy when it came to their arms building. It was, build cheap, build fast, and build as many as you can. It was widely acknowledged that the German arms and tanks uh, were definitely superior to anything the Americans could build. Uh, but I'll quote one general at the time, but we did all right because we built so many of them. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like the when you, when you read the like the injury statistics or the death statistics in wars in the First World War and Second World War, like Russia has like by far the most oh yeah sort yeah. of deaths so many but casualties. there's not so many of them <laughs> yeah you know yeah. they just you push through anyway it's... yeah yeah they achieved victories because they poured troops in and yeah it it was same with the crappy tanks it was uh, like that one German general at one point mentioned something along the lines it's not in my notes it's me half remembering something but it was something along the lines of every single tank that came at us we destroyed within moments. But yeah. we ran out of arms before they ran out of tanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there you go. Just just keep building. 
Uh, now, to make sure that things carried on being built smoothly, Roosevelt's administration introduced a mandatory contract renegotiation. Now, to simplify this, the government put in an order of arms. So, I don't know, what would you want to buy during a war? Metal. Um, yes, maybe you need metal to build guns or something, make a hat. So you put in an order for metal, this was important, and then the company would come back and say, yes, that will be $10,000. This is an outrage, says the government. Now, usually the company would then shrug and say, take it or leave it, and someone mm. would sit back and make a huge profit. But oh no, not anymore, because a law was put through. Um, if the company was seen to overcharge, the government would step in and take the money back. That's borderline socialism. Oh yes, I mean, this, <laughs> this, is, uh, this is governmental control uh, to a level that America have certainly never seen in terms of business right. before. Now, due to this, the hyper-capitalist society that meant a ridiculous amount of things could be built in a very short amount of time yeah. also did not run into the usual problem that people were making huge amounts of profits, which meant the government would run out of money and everything would collapse. Yeah. In fact, the Roosevelt administration managed to get the best of both worlds. Incredibly quick and effective production, but also not having to pay too much for it. So, still the people making it will still get rich. So. Uh, well, not really. They weren't too Not happy. as rich, though. Um, but, again, war does interesting things to people's politics and philosophy. And the usual uh, robber barons uh, sat back and thought, OK, we're taking a financial hit, but we don't want to lose the war because that will be a bigger financial hit. So uh, yeah, we're not happy, but we'll have to deal with it until the war's over. Hope. Anyway, back to the war. Uh, Sicily was taken. You'll be pleased to know. Syracuse, uh, foul. They've still got their lasers. Uh, oh. Yeah, and their big forks that picked yes, things up. Yes, lift, lift up the yeah. U-boats. <laughs> A reference to our Roman Republic series <laughs> that many people won't get. Um, anyway, once Sicily was taken, Italy was internally shaken, shall we say. Uh, there was a bit of a mini-coup. Mussolini was deposed, yes. Italy surrendered, and declared war on Germany. Hurrah! Yeah. Hitler responded by taking Italy by force and putting Mussolini back in power and saying, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> so, eh, didn't really work. Britain and the US then attempt to take Italy by force back, but the so-called soft underbelly of Europe turned out to be a hard armadillo shell. They were hit by Ooh. tough resistance and didn't really get too far. Fighting continues here for the rest of the war. Um, wow. Now, in fact, call back here. Do you remember our fourth ever episode we recorded as Totalis Rankium? It was Caligula's episode. Yes. And in that episode, I mentioned Caligula had some cruise ships. And I mentioned yes. they were discovered in the early 1900s. Yes. And they were bombed. Yeah, they were destroyed in this time. So this is when they're destroyed. Oh, we finally got link. there to the destruction. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Oh, Caligula's cruise ships were destroyed. Still, a bit of a tangent there. Roosevelt and Churchill meet not to discuss cruise ships. No, they meet in the Mediterranean. <laughs> on a boat? Uh, no, on an island. Rubber ring. Although Roosevelt flies. Uh, Roosevelt flies and is the first time a president, an acting president, is in an airplane. So, really? Yeah, yeah. Well, at least certainly long distance. But yeah, so... Because I was going to say, Neville Chamberlain flew over to Germany to meet yeah. Hitler. Yeah, he yeah. wasn't, as far as I remember, the president of the United States, though, so that doesn't change my fact. No, but that still means we win. <laughs> <laughs> the discussions were around what to do with Germany after they'd won, which I can't help but feel was slightly premature at this point. 
I mean, yeah. Things, things are, are looking good, though. I think the circle's closing. Oh, yeah. Up. Things are certainly looking better, far better than they were uh, a year or two ago. But still, we're still pre-D-Day here. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, they talked about what to do with Germany after they won. They also talked about this nuclear physicky bomb thing that was under development that people were talking about. Churchill apparently wasn't too much of a fan because he apparently he was happy with explosives how they are, but... He shouldn't stand in the way of improvement, essentially, was his message. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, Roosevelt promised to share any information on the bomb they had with Britain. Britain were obviously trying to develop a bomb at the same time as America. One country who were not, however, was Germany. They were not to know, but Germany had given up on trying to develop an atomic bomb. Really? Yeah, they decided yeah. it was too hard and it would take too many resources away from the greater achievement, which was wiping out all the Jews. Uh. Yeah. So it was decided Roosevelt and Churchill should meet Stalin in person. If we're going to um, hammer some ideas about post-war Germany, we really need to talk to Stalin. So should we talk to them all together? Skipping a bit of time here, but yes, the meeting was set up, and in November 1943, the three meet in Tehran. Hey. This was the first time Roosevelt had met Stalin, and he was determined to make it work. His ambassador in Russia obviously already knew Stalin, and later on um, described Stalin in this way. He was better informed than Roosevelt, and more realistic than Churchill. In some ways, he was the most effective of all of the wartime leaders. And at the same time, he was, of course, a murderous tyrant. <laughs> so, murderous tyrant, but an effective one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Many strings to his bow. <laughs> so, talk was once again, what should we do with Germany? Shall we wipe it off the map? Was one suggestion. I mean, Germany as Germany was a fairly new country. Can we just pretend that didn't happen? So, just get rid of that. Another idea, Holy Roman Empire. Should we go back to that? We don't have to call it that, but you remember when it was all hundreds of small little states and no one had a clue what was going on? It was incredibly daunting to anyone who was thinking of maybe potentially doing a podcast on it in the future. Do you remember that? <laughs> we could go back to that, maybe. Or yeah. what about split Germany into four or five larger states? Maybe that would be more manageable. Maybe we could do that. These were the ideas floating around. They hadn't learned, had they, since the first time? Well, uh, as we see, they had learned something, as we will see later on. Right. Um, don't cripple them economically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Don't punish them. Well, Star Stalin did kind of want to. Uh, Churchill and Roosevelt were saying, this is how we ended up in this mess. Uh, we can't mm. cripple them completely. But at one point, Stalin made a, a bit of a joke. Uh, he said the best way to make sure we had peace after the war was to execute all 50,000 German officers at the end of the war. <laughs> I imagine there was a little bit of a pause. <laughs> <laughs> Roosevelt then joked back. He said 50,000 was far too high. Perhaps they should execute 49,000 instead. <laughs> Stalin, yes, I can go down to that. Churchill apparently was not amused at all, and he was very blustered and announced that he would rather be shot himself than order such a thing. The honour of a British man. Blah, 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 blah. Um, yes. <laughs> It'd be awful if we caused the death of hundreds of thousands of people. Britain would never do that. Um, of course not. Pass me a brandy. There have been debate amongst historians about exactly what the uh, the play was in this exchange. Certainly the the biography, the couple of biographies that I read covering this suggested that Stalin was joking, Roosevelt saw it as a joke and joked back, and Churchill didn't understand the joke. 
That's um, very British. Yeah, yeah. I get that. Roosevelt <laughs> then used this as a way to mock uh, Churchill in a friendly way for his Britishness, which really softened Stalin up, apparently, who found that amusing. And oh. after that, it communication worked better, much to Churchill's... It's breaking the chagrin. ice. Yeah, yeah. However, I can't help but wonder whether that was one of those kind of jokes where you're kind of testing the waters. It wouldn't yeah, be yeah. funny, guys. It wouldn't be really funny if we executed, you know, fifty thousand Germans. Wouldn't it? Right. That'd be funny unless, you know, like unless we actually do it. Should we do it? No, it's funny. I was joking. What? <laughs> Maybe was what Stalin was doing there. <laughs> nice. Who who knows? So the meeting continues. Now the main issue apart from Germany, was opening up the second front in Europe. Because, yes, we can talk all we want about what to do with Germany after the war, but we need to win it. So what about this second front, said Stalin? Kind of useful if we have that second front. The United States wanted it to happen via France. Yes, this is the plan. We're going to go in, we're going to cross the channel, go through France. Churchill still, however, was advocating going through the Mediterranean. It'll be easier that way. Yeah, yeah. I, I, look, I see. Look, look what I did I, in World War One. He said how successful it was going through the Mediterranean. Uh, <laughs> so I see. I see his view though, because I guess you're thinking, well, you know, because from Churchill's views, like at the time, the British Army was very good, and they were demolished because the German, the Nazis, just came through the French trees, the forests, yeah. and pushed them back so much and killed. Almost their entire army. So it's like, well, I don't want that to happen again. So oh, yeah, yeah. It makes sense from Churchill's point of view. Dunkirk was not good. No. <laughs> it really was it not. And do we want to go back there? Because we could not hold on to it before. Um, no. Let's let's try a different avenue. They've literally built a fortification. Let's, let's, let's go around it. Let's walk around it. There is an yeah. argument to be had. However, there was also an argument to be had to build up as many forces as you can and punch a very small hole through the defence. The, the battering ram approach. Because if it works, then you have really destroyed that defence. Yes. So yeah, there were arguments either way, and this was essentially yeah. what was going on. In the end, it was decided that they would invade France in May of 1944, and it would be led by the American general, Dwight Eisenhower. <gasps> Short version of that. But obviously we'll get more detail on that in a future episode. <gasps> really? Why? Um, I, I don't know. There's reasons. Uh, in the end, obviously, um, oh. as we all know, those of us who do know, that it wasn't May, it was June. <laughs> June the 6th that became D-Day. Uh, over 150,000 troops invaded a heavily fortified coast of wow. France over the sea and through the air. And it works. Watch Band of Brothers for more information, or Saving Private Ryan. Well, I don't know. Yes. Pick up a book. Um, a what? The uh, Allies managed to open up a second front, and Hitler was forced to fight on those two fronts. And this is where the war enters its most popular period in terms of what is popular in the imagination today. This is the push of the Allies through Europe, which certainly gets most of the attention. Uh, yeah. Certainly to casual uh, people interested in history which I'll happily include myself amongst uh, before you're really getting into the nitty gritty of the war but it is obviously only a very small portion of the war however back home Roosevelt's health was starting to fail him uh, despite the lack of the use of his legs uh, he had always been in good health uh, but that had kind of stopped of late remember he had a mild heart attack at the end of his second yes. term yeah, but he's only going downhill yeah, he was always tired, he struggled to concentrate. Um, he saw a doctor, and a heart murmur was discovered. But despite this, Roosevelt pushes on. There was a war, after all. There's also an election. Now, there'd been a lot of speculation over whether he would run a third time or not. 
Not so much for the fourth election. Things were clearer. In fact, yeah. I quote, reluctantly, but as a good soldier, I will accept and serve in this office if I am ordered to do so by the commander-in-chief of all of us, the people of the United States. If his belief was that only he could steer the United States through the war was perhaps unfounded in the last election, well, what was he basing that on? Well, actually, he's got a much stronger case this time. It was he who had a close working relationship with Winston Churchill. He even got on yeah. with Stalin. It's like... Actually, you've got a very strong argument to say changing leaders now is a bad idea. We've nearly won the war. And also, they'd nearly won the war. It was Roosevelt who had taken on a war that almost everyone saw as unwanted and unwinnable, and he turned it into something close to a victory. Due to this, it was not uncertain once more. The GOP ran an even less effective campaign than the last one. The biggest weakness... <laughs> they went, yeah, vote for him. Vote yeah, for him. yeah. Fine. <laughs> I'm voting for Sorry. him. Why wouldn't you vote for him? Uh, <laughs> yeah, the biggest weakness was Roosevelt's health. Can we go after him for his health? Well, there's a problem here. Roosevelt had managed to get through his entire political life with people yeah. attacking him for his health. He knew how to win that battle. Now he was actually genuinely struggling with his health, unlike before, he was able to hide it quite well, because he knew how to. He knew how to fight yeah. back against those kind of attacks, so it just didn't stick. Uh, then in July 1944, he headed to Pearl Harbor. It was decided Ooh. that the Philippines had to be taken back next, as a matter of principle. They were, after all, American, so we'll do that. The plan was formulated to force Japan to a surrender without invading Japan itself. It was seen that invading Japan would be incredibly difficult. A lot of lives would be lost. So maybe there's a way of forcing Japan into a surrender. Uh, it was around this time that his uh, son, who was serving in the South Pacific, wrote to Roosevelt. His son mentioned that the invasion of Japan was a reason why he could not come home. Roosevelt wanted his son to come home for a bit. His son had said, no, the invasion of Japan is important. And Roosevelt wrote back, and I quote, we will have something that will end our war with Japan before any invasion takes place. It is something that we can use and we will use if we have to. Something we will certainly use before you or any of our sons die in an invasion of Japan. Oh dear. Yes. And then the ominous bell rang. Gong. <laughs> the ominous gong. Anyway, the election came, the election went, no one was in any doubt. Uh, Roosevelt won 26 million to 22, so yet another landslide victory. 432 electoral college votes to 99. So. Uh, I mean, you, you could argue the gap is narrowing. But... You could. <laughs> <laughs> But he wasn't a well man. I mean, he was losing weight right. rapidly by this point. He was visibly starting to look yeah. like he was struggling. Uh, people were surprised when they met him. People who'd known him all their life, uh, hadn't seen him for a couple of months, met him and went, oh, yeah. wow, what's going on? He was also starting to have attacks of angina whilst he was delivering speeches, uh, worries that it was full-on heart attacks on its way. Yeah. Uh, despite this, he didn't slow down. After his fourth inauguration, uh, so there you go, four terms, uh, he <laughs> headed back to the Mediterranean and met with Churchill and Malta. From there, they both headed across the Black Sea to a Soviet resort town of Yalta. He's very active for a very sick guy. Oh, well, yes, it's taking it out of him, but he's active. <laughs> Again, meeting of the big three. In fact, eight meetings over eight days take place this time. By this time, Russia has taken Warsaw and the United States and Britain, and the Allies uh, working with them, 
have managed to get past the Battle of the Bulge and into Belgium. Um, so the right. best episode of Band of Brothers has come and gone by this point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it really was now a matter of time before Germany fell. You can now comfortably start talking about what should we do with Germany after the war. So that's what they talked about. It was decided that Germany would be occupied, not dismantled. France also would get to be a part of the occupation. Uh, Roosevelt wasn't best pleased with de Gaulle becoming the leader of France because he wasn't elected. It seemed a little bit despoty to Roosevelt. Anyway, uh, de Gaulle is now in charge of France. Roosevelt kind of finally gives up and says, fine, yeah, we'll recognise you since everyone else has. Uh, but <laughs> just know, a bit of tension between France and America there. Uh, yeah. No more statues from you. <laughs> yeah. No more giant copper women. So, France would get part of Germany, um, obviously Britain and uh, America would, and uh, also Russia, uh, they said. And uh, what should we do? Just kind of like split it up neatly? Yeah, that makes sense. We'll split it up neatly. What about the capital, they said? I don't know. Let's make it its own isolated little pocket that you can only fly into and fly out of. I can't see any problems with that whatsoever. What should we do with one city, they said? I don't know. Build a wall through it. That's insane, said someone. Shut up, said someone. You're ruining (laughs) our fun. (laughs) Why would somebody do that? (laughs) I I, I think could only be uh, what happened in in that meeting. I mean... (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) yeah, so uh, Germany split up and uh, occupied. It was decided also that Russia could have Poland. Um, I mean, no one said it like that because that's not good, is it? Obviously, Britain went into war, literally went into war because of Poland and defending Poland and... uh, and we're not going to give Poland up. No one's no. No, that'd be ridiculous. No. Yeah, you could have Poland and all the other countries in Eastern Europe. Yeah, yeah. It was all dressed up in diplomatic speech. It was fine. Yeah, of it was course. Fine. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we will take care of Poland. Yes, yes. Well, it'll be fine. Uh, but yes, essentially, it was yes, Russia. You can have everything east of Germany. We'll have everything west. Was was pretty much the deal. So that was all agreed on. Also, it was agreed that Russia would join the fight with Japan within a couple of months of Germany's fall. So that was good. Uh, they also discussed uh, what to do with the Jewish population in Europe. Um, everything to do with the idea of Israel starts to be brought up. We do not have time to go through all that now, no. unfortunately, as fascinating as it is. Um, but just know that things are being discussed around this time. At the end of the Yalta conference, Roosevelt wrote that the results were not good, obviously. I mean, there were some things that weren't great about this, but it was the best they could have hoped for. Then in March 1945, Roosevelt spoke to a joint session of Congress. For the first time ever, he appeared in his wheelchair. He did not have the energy to stand up. Wow. Yeah, he announced that it should be celebrated that they had not waited to the end of the war to set in motion the machines of peace. This was essentially a victory speech. And it was warmly applauded. Later on that month, an exhausted president went to Warm Springs to rest. He wasn't eating, his weight was still falling off him, his hands were shaking at all times, he struggled to remember names and events. He's really going to pieces. And then on the 12th of April, after noting that they still had 15 more minutes to work until lunch, he suddenly said, and I quote, I have a terrific pain in the back of my head. And then he slumped forward and was declared dead later that day. Oh. Yeah, his health was really failing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Wow. That is the oh, incredibly I... busy life of Roosevelt. Yeah. 
I'm almost sad that the war story hasn't finished. Almost. That's not it's, the... it's almost there. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. It's, it's not a World War II wow. podcast. It's a present no. podcast. So... That's true. We now get to rate Franklin D. Roosevelt. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Try not to drag this out too much. Yeah, but there's a good lot. Luck. <laughs> there's a lot to discuss here. Good. There's no way he's not scoring highly in statesmanship, in my mind. I'm just going to say that right at the start. The man had a successful political career in which he was widely regarded as a force for good. This is remarkable for a politician. Most politicians, at some point, fall from grace. He does not. That's true. He was an able assistant secretary for the Navy during World War I, if you remember, way back to his first episode. He was a state senator um, and uh, did reasonably well there. He was the governor of New York and arguably did an even better job. Uh, He was elected president four times, each time in a landslide victory. I mean, that's very statesmanly, isn't it? I'd say it's very statement. He navigated the United States through not one, but two of its biggest ever crises. The Great Depression and World War II. Just one of those alone would have been hugely impressive, but both of them is phenomenal. The New Deal was a radical break from the Gilded Age that had been needed for decades. The slow crawling away from the Gilded Age has not really helped that much. Uh, The New Deal certainly is helping a lot more. Countless families that were really struggling, starving to death in utter poverty, were pulled out of that poverty thanks Mm. to the New Deal. People were starving, they no longer were. I mean, that's good. You can't argue against that. That'll get your votes. Yep. You also get a lot of points for being instrumental in defeating one of the most fanatically genocidal governments in history. If you're defeating Nazis, you get points. Yeah. That said... Can I add one more thing in? Yeah. Um, uh, he's uh, Fireside Chats. He was able to get... Because that's part of statesmanship. Sure, oh, yes. No, that is a very, very good point. His, his political skill using the Fireside Chats, very impressive. He used the technology available to him to get his, his message out. Um, He'd have been amazing on Twitter. Um, I don't know. I don't know whether it would have suited his... Uh... Not on this time. It, <laughs> it, it would have been... Because it was more chatty. It was like your friendly uncle having a chat to you and explaining everything. That's what it was like. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, that's also a good point. Uh, but, despite all these good points, there was certainly room to criticise. And in fact, I've actually spent far more of my word count here in criticising him than not just because I want to be fully fair. But then we can judge him. So, bad. One major argument against him, especially in recent times, is that the New Deal was actually not helpful for the country at all. That it was actually the war that brought the country out of the Depression and got the economy back on track. The New Deal was actually harming the country. Now, I find this argument very hard to agree with personally. I think it's very obvious the economy was clearly improving until Roosevelt pulled back from the New Deal too soon, and then it crashed again. And then, yes, the war certainly pulled it out completely. I'm not saying the war didn't help the economy in the United States, of course it did, but it was also getting back to pre-Depression levels. It was almost there. So I struggle to agree with this argument. Well, what's the data say? You've got to go by data, surely. The trouble with data and economies is that the data can be so complex that you can get the data to say whatever the hell you want. I'm not an economist. I don't know much about the economy. I think it's fairly clear throughout the podcast we do. But what I will say is that most economists agree that the New Deal helped. Economists that don't, that I've come across, 
tend to be fairly modern economists that are pushing an agenda that they want to say about modern economies. However, fair enough. I certainly know that some people will disagree with me with that, and fair enough. The economy's complex. I'm not saying I'm right here. I'm just saying I think the evidence proves that the New Deal was doing a good thing. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, but it is a criticism against him, so I thought I should include it, for being fair's sake. Um, mm. Another criticism that I can get on board with about the New Deal is that, as ever, things being great for most people in the country means that it was not great for all people in the country. And usually, as we've discovered in the podcast, this means it was good for white people and not for non-white people. Yes. In order to get a lot of the New Deal stuff through, Roosevelt had to cut a lot of deals with the faction in his party that really were not for helping the minorities. The Southern Democratic faction in the party really didn't want things like black farmers to be able to form a union, for example. So Roosevelt essentially said, fair enough. To get his new deal through, he allowed right. several things to pass that were not helpful for black people. Or, more to point, the biggest one is that Roosevelt did not push for a law, which was the anti-lynching law. Now, we've talked about this a few times now. It's still not in, on the books, the anti-lynching law. It still can't get through politically. You could argue Roosevelt is the most powerful president we have ever seen. And he could have surely, at the height of his powers, got that anti-lynching law through, but he doesn't because he doesn't want to upset the Southern Democrats in his party. So in 1944, you could legally lynch... No, because lynching person. is murder, so you couldn't. However, the anti-lynching laws, if you remember, put in extra levels of punishment for not the people oh. doing the physical lynching, but for the infrastructure around them for allowing it to happen. So prosecutors right. who didn't prosecute would be prosecuted. Uh, things like that. It right. made lynching much less appealing uh, to those in authority, much more likely for them to crack down on it. That's what it was it's for. It's still scary that oh, yeah. people yeah. did that. Yeah. What the Awful. hell? The fact that we're in World War Two and this uh, law is still not through. Like um, our, our grandparents were alive. Yeah. When. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. So I mean, this this is definitely oh. a criticism you can level against Roosevelt. Uh, he was very powerful. Surely he could have done more in this area, and he just kind of doesn't. He also gets criticism for not doing enough to help the Jews in Europe. Uh, and yes, he certainly could have fought harder to change the immigration laws of the country. But again, very much like anti-lynching laws, he decides not to because he knew he'd lose political power in doing so. That, that, that also highlights the anti-Semitism. Oh yes, there was certainly uh, anti-Semitism a lot in America at this time. People who did not want to see uh, Jews or any immigrants coming to America doesn't matter what the stories are. The stories were probably made up anyway. Stories of mass execution camps. That's a scare story. We heard those in World War One. Never came true, did it? Yeah, that was the attitude of many people. Um, that obviously, tricky one, this one, because uh, yeah. you could argue every leader could have done more to help the Jewish population in Europe because, my God, did they need some help? And they did not get it. But at the same time, how much did people know? Uh, and how much could be done? everything happened rapidly it's a very hard one to judge but it yeah. certainly is something to talk about whilst coming up with criticisms so there you go that's in here as well yeah. 
This one, however, is, is straight up obvious big criticism. Concentration camps in America to detain American citizens. Yeah, you can't really justify this in any you can't. way. You can't. It's not good. It's bad. You cannot justify it. Uh, the fact that he delegated the decision to the military is no defence whatsoever. He was the president. He was ch- in charge. He delegated, and then he signed off on that delegation. It was his fault. That's all I can say on that. There's no defence. <laughs> Another valid criticism of him is him running for a third term. Slightly less horrific than concentration camps and talks of not aiding people <laughs> facing genocide and everything. However, I, I, I feel I feel like you should do this in severity. Um, I didn't do it. Any <laughs> didn't see anyone here as bad. <laughs> no, he doesn't. But there is certainly something to be said yes. that this is a worrying trend. Roosevelt attacked the Supreme Court. He attacked Congress. He spent his political life trying to strip powers away from the other two branches of government, and then he made himself king. If he hadn't have died for his fourth term, who says he wouldn't have gone on for a fifth term, and a sixth term, and then declared himself president for life? It is a slippery slope. It is worrying, even as a joke. If someone's talking about having a third term, you've got to sit up and pay attention, even if they're doing it with a smile on their face. In a democracy where the whole idea is that you share power and you vote people in, clinging on to the power is worrying. Now, of course you can argue, extenuating circumstances here, a world war. Also, he was using his forces for good when he was attacking the Supreme Court, you could argue, because he was trying to bring down an inherently racist system that was set up against the working classes, and he achieved some good things. But that is a ends-justify-the-means argument. You can't reasonably argue that it is not a little bit worrying to set a precedence that a president can just keep being president for life. No, the only the only way you can justify is by saying he was voted in each time. Yeah, but after five elections and he's not voted in, what happens then? I mean, it's it's setting a precedent. There was a reason why that's they hypo- that's hypothetical. It is, it is, and this is all hypothetical. There is also and that's a, the trouble. There was a reason why they brought in the two term limits, pretty yeah. much immediately afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. However, despite all this, like I said, there's quite a few criticisms there. When you look at the start of his administration and then you look at the end, the country is in an unquestionably better place. Roosevelt inherited a country on its knees, quite likely close to the government falling. I mean, it's not a million miles away. It's not crazy thinking to think a revolution could have taken place. It was happening in other countries. Uh, America was in a bad place. And then at the end of Roosevelt's administration, America was a global superpower with the strongest economy and a military in the world. And, and other countries acknowledge that as well. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Britain, so it might have been sucking up slightly, but Britain certainly said, you are strong. Yeah, yeah. Britain for the first time went, actually, yeah, you're more powerful than us. We're, we're forced <laughs> to admit it. And so did a lot of countries in the world. Uh, not only had the country become a superpower, it was actually more fairly structured. The society of America was better. Now, it was far from perfect. It is full of problems still, but it is better than it was. It has improved. For a vast majority of Americans, life was better than it was. Not necessarily great, but improvements had been made. So yes, there were very, very valid reasons to criticize Roosevelt. And I definitely would not be saying he is a perfect president, And it is fair that he is criticised for things. But I think it would be disingenuous to claim that he was anything but ultimately a positive force in the history of the country, despite the obvious stains. Yes. Do you want to put an arbitrary number on all that? (laughs) It's going to be high. It's going to be high. But 
because of the neglect of certain things that he potentially had power to solve not solve but edge towards a better ending he could have been for example the concentration camps yeah (laughs) the uh, jewish people the whole um lynching thing um i'm giving him an eight so i'm taking off two for that which seems almost i don't think it's harsh i think you could argue i could have taken off more I I, but I I think the the benefits outweigh the negatives because if Nazi Germany had taken over more, it would have been a lot worse. I, I'm with you. I was thinking eight as well. Uh, this is one of the hardest ones to to judge, I would say, because there are some obvious bads, but there are also so many goods. Um, yeah. I'm gonna say eight, and okay. I also completely understand why people might disagree with us. Yeah. But I'm gonna say eight for now. Yeah. Sixteen. Uh, also, if you're a listener, please tell us what you give as well, because that'd be very fascinating. Any reasons yeah. why? Next. So, as a youth, he was pompous. Uh, he was a member of the elite, and he had, if I remember correctly, literally every spoon that was made of silver in his mouth. That's a big mouth. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't seem to realise it either, did he? Um, <laughs> he was a hard man to like in his youth, looking back at him in history. He shared, or at least did not fight against, his class's casual racism against black people, Asians, Catholics, Jews, um, <laughs> which, yeah. Um, Just a big long list of... Yeah, anyone who's not uh, white and not Catholic, and uh, anyone who's not him and his class, uh, basically. So there's that. That's not good. But then, he catches polio. And he seems to change. Now, you can debate, was it the illness or maybe just passage of time and age? People change over time. But he turned into a person who actually seemed to care about the people he represented. You cannot say this about all presidents. No. He genuinely seemed to want to make changes to the laws that would help people, not help his party stay in power. And there was a huge difference between those two things. Most presidents we've seen... I would argue, will do the latter over the former. I would argue this for impartiality. The UK does a similar thing. Hmm. So I think it says something about his character later in life that he was willing to go against the grain of his party at times, uh, fight factions of his party at times, although obviously he also did just give up at times and make compromises that were questionable. But generally, he tried to make things better for the people he represented. Now, you can argue the same with Teddy Roosevelt. The reason why he was able to do this was because he was so incredibly posh and rich. It is a privilege given to people so posh and rich that they can actually care about other people because they're not busy worrying about themselves. Um, It's security. Yeah, but I I think it's a bit harsh to take points away from him just because uh, he happened to be incredibly rich and privileged because he could have just sat there and done nothing. So... I'll be honest, all of what you said I think is irrelevant. Like, he, he grew up probably a bit suck up, blah, 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 but it'll change, so that yeah. shows a willingness to change. It's a positive. So, the only other thing I could think of in this round were his moral failings. Uh, the only thing I could think of here is he had an affair. Um, but. I forgot that, yeah. Unlike other presidents we've covered, this, this affair seems to be a simple he fell out of love with Eleanor, he fell in love with Lucy, Eleanor found out. They decided to stay together professionally because they never were a couple again. Uh, they did things separately for the rest of their lives. Uh, but they got on well enough. 
Um, they just weren't close. Uh, this is not Cleveland attempting to institutionalise a young woman after he got her pregnant. This is not the same thing. I no. don't think this is something to give out points for. This was a marriage that fell apart, but it was in a time where divorce was tricky and the two decided to stay together for a mutual benefit. So, fair enough. So, unless you can remember anything... It's really tricky because you kind of think... You're linking back to statesmanship. There are certain policies that went through or didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Does that have a grounding in his own moral character? You, I didn't get the sense, looking into him, that it did. I think they were political compromises he made. Now, you can argue making those as political compromises is dodgy. You can certainly say the compromise itself was bad. But this was Roosevelt doing things he didn't want to do because he saw it as the only way he could get other things done. Which, in my mind, falls under statesmanship. Whether he should be criticised for it or not is the different round. I don't think that falls into this round. I'm thinking minus one. There were definitely some little cases of, uh, oh, really, Roosevelt? Um, So I'm not going to say zero. He's no hates. No. (laughs) Uh, But there's nothing big. I mean, I'm sorry, if if you're going to be casually racist throughout your life, you're not getting zero. Uh, but there's no there's no big big stories or scandals or anything. No. Minus two. Next. Silver screen. Interesting to see what you think here. Right. Very briefly because it's a long episode. Uh, posh upbringing. Uh, he went to a posh school. Uh, he did more posh things. He then went to the Senate. He became the assistant secretary for the Navy. Uh, he campaigned for vice president. Then he catches polio. There's the whole recovering from polio, trying to walk again, uh, going to his job and then collapsing in the foyer. All of that, all of a sudden, you've got some drama. Everything up to this point, less so, but maybe is a good leading into the polio story. Uh, then you've got the political comeback. I mean, you've got the uh, the way we ended episode one, where everyone's cheering for him because he's managed to get yeah. to the podium. I mean, that's sim- cinematic. That just is. Then he was the governor. He did a fairly good job. He was the president. First term, New Deal does well. Second term, failed power grabs doesn't do well. Third term, war. Um, and then he dies. Now, what I would argue is that his life is politics at its arguably best. It's not flashy or interesting, but it gets things done. It's now, effective. <laughs> whether you agree with yeah. his politics or not is debatable, but he got stuff done in a non-flashy way. That's what you want yep. from your politics. Yes. But that's not this round. That's no. statesmanship. This is Silver Screen. How interesting was his life? His life was fascinating. I would love to see a uh, like a four five, six part series on his, on his life. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, it'd be fascinating, because I think everything that happened was interesting. Yeah. Um, you got, obviously, the War series, which would be mm. the final series. You've got the New Deal, just like the, the conversations that we had, the debates. Yeah. And even, oh. even the failed power grabs was an interesting side to Roosevelt that I've never really come across before. I... I I've heard lots about the positives of Roosevelt and not much about the negatives of Roosevelt. His, his The yeah. fact that he was a little bit power grabby, the fact that he was yeah. a potential, oh, is this leading into tyranny kind of in the United States? Not much, yeah. but the, the worry was there and no. you could see why people would be worried at the time. I can That's see all the fear, but I think it comes to a point where if he kept doing it, people would just start, no, I'm not voting for you anymore. Yeah, yeah, you'd hope. So. Um, it's not the best, but it's pretty good. Um, I think it'd be 
fascinating. I mean, conversations Sorry, I really with, do. conversations with Churchill and Stalin. I mean, that alone yeah. is getting you points. So the fact that he's got to come back from the polio. Actually, I'm saying it's not the best. It is up there, isn't it? What did we give his cousin, Teddy, in this round? Surely it was four marks. Surely Teddy was about got four marks in can, this Can round. you find it faster than yeah, I Yeah, do? I can find it faster than you can. Excellent. I'll uh, put the microphone back. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Teddy got, got four marks in this round because of course he did. But he became a cowboy. He went to Deadwood. Yeah, but that's never... Then in, We can never get anyone 10 again after that, which I don't think is fair because it's a different time and you can get a different interests. You've persuaded me. I was going to go eight. My heart was an eight, but you've persuaded me for your argument that actually it is a bit better than that. I'm going to go up to nine. <laughs> I'm going to go for nine. Damn good score, though. That is a damn good score. That puts him on par with Washington in this round, and only Teddy Roosevelt and uh, Jackson beat him for just a story of someone's crazy life. Yeah, okay, 19. This is going to be a good score. This is interesting, because I had in my head what I thought the official portrait was for Roosevelt, but I've just uh, gone onto the website that I usually use, and I've pulled it up. Turns out the one I thought isn't actually the official one. So okay. Maybe I'm just thinking oh. of a famous photo. This well, was not the one thing. I thought. Um, he looks actually a little bit younger here uh, than, than I, he usually did does. Did you see the Wikipedia one? Uh, possibly. Maybe it's just the one on Wikipedia I'm thinking about. You've got Roosevelt sitting, looking... He's got a bit of a square chin going on. And looking uh, yeah. off to the right, there's tassels. I love that cleft. Tassels in the background, Jamie. You've got to love a tassel. Um, looks like tassel. some American flags. He's got a book on the table in front of him. It's all right, but it's nothing. I'm really disappointed with this. I'm, yeah. I'm, really, I'm strongly disappointed. This is going to be a weak round for him. I mean, it's, it's, His... it's not awful. I don't look at it and go, oh dear, it's very middle of the road. I... I don't hate it. I don't love it. I found no. nothing, Jamie. I'm dead inside no. whilst I watch this. <laughs> he looks very modern. He's got a tie on and a shirt. He's got yeah. his white little thing in his pocket, to, like a tissue thing. Five. Really? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going for four. I'm for less. I'm less impressed than you. Okay, so that is a uh, 2.25. Bonus! Maybe this is his round, because the bonus... Let's see how he does, shall we? <laughs> terms. <Happy> terms. Three. <laughs> He completes three terms, so he gets three whole points. Assassination, one. Someone tried to kill him, remember, in the last episode. Yeah. Yeah, he survived, so he gets a point. Election, despite being four elections, they were all (laughs) landslide victories. In fact, his average of his Electoral College votes, even though it has taken over four elections, is third behind over Washington and Monroe. Washington's doesn't count because he was just shoehorned in, so he got 100%, and Monroe was during the afternoon of good feelings, so he did he did quite well. Um, but yeah, so incredibly good. So that is two points for election. He gets six points for bonus. If he wasn't already doing well, that meant he would be doing well. I'll be honest, I will not be surprised if he's won this. Really? Our current first place is none other than Lincoln himself on 40. Our second place is Teddy Roosevelt on 38.5, and in third place is George Washington on 37. So where does Franklin Roosevelt come? I don't know. Where, 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 where? I'm going to tell you right now, Jamie. He scores 41.25. Oh, he beat him! Yay! New leader. New leader. 
Ah, oh, brilliant. Got through the Great Depression. Got yeah. through World War Two. He's now well, kind of. <laughs> well, close, close. Um, <laughs> it's the bonus points that swung it for him, though. Without yeah, those yeah. bonus points. Without that extra point for the election. If he hadn't been nearly killed and then gone into his third term, yeah, he he wouldn't actually have won. So it really wow. was the case that someone tried to kill him and that he he did a term more than anyone else. Well, congratulations to the assassinator. Well done to you, <laughs> sir. It's what he would have wanted. Yes. <laughs> oh, however, uh, before we, we go on to the next point, uh, uh, future Ooh. future us needs to talk to us. It's amazing how we can predict this. I know it's amazing. Thanks, Pastus. I always got on with those guys. They're really good. They're, they're, they're good guys, aren't they? A they bit are. behind the times, though. <laughs> they are a little bit. They, they don't even know that Joe Biden tripped on the on the steps of uh, Air Force One. Do they not? No, they don't know that yet. Nor do I. Did that happen today? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I've not seen the news. <laughs> I came home and started editing. Yeah. Which brings us to the point. Right, um... <laughs> Whilst editing, it occurred to me that we missed an important part of the episode, albeit perhaps uh, an obvious one. We forgot to discuss whether Roosevelt is... American or American? I mean, it's obviously yes. I mean, it's obviously yes. Everyone knew it was going to be yes. I mean, it's a yes. But um, we've just popped it in here. It's now official. Well done, FDR. You, yeah, you, you. Not only our highest scorer, but you also are an American. That's how you pronounce it. Yeah, in British. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. back to past us. Yeah, okay. Um, good luck, guys. You, just word of warning, guys, you waffle a bit towards the end, so it's probably going to be cut down quite a bit. So yeah. just uh, watch out for that. Thanks. Thanks, Futurus. Yeah. W- wise words. Let's keep it succinct at the end here. But what I will say, I really wanted to, at the end of this episode, to be able to announce what we're doing with the American presidency as come the future. Uh, but unfortunately, we're still not quite there. There are still a couple of things we're trying to sort out. Um, and I yeah. don't want to say something and then have to come and say, actually, we're doing it differently now. So what I am going to say is that there are some small changes coming, but there are exciting changes. Um, but there will not be an episode out in the next president slot because I need time to do the research. Um, So, uh, no episode in two weeks, but two weeks after that, we will start with President Truman. Oh, Truman. Yes. You ever seen the Truman Show? Yeah, yeah, it's all about President Truman. I'm going to watch it to do my research. That's what I was going to say. Yes, exactly. Um, So, I hope you will join us for that. Um, And, uh, yeah, get in contact with us. Are you outraged FDR is now in the lead? Yeah. Yeah. Or do you think uh, we we made a good assessment? Who knows? Yeah. Right. Thank you very much for listening. Yeah. uh, And please follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Okay, then. All that needs to be said is... Goodbye. Goodbye. Yes, yes, no, good to hear from you too. Yes, yes, no, we were shocked. We never expected the attack, but fear not. We will rally and we will fight back, Churchill. More brandy. Yes, no, of course, this does mean we're in the same boat now. Oh, proper, 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 proper,
how. Yes, of course, of course, yes. Uh, we'll be opening our shipments to you as soon as possible. And you're right, the Atlantic is an important front. Fear not, we will not focus solely on the Pacific. Scotch! Yes, you're right. Of course, the plan is that eventually we will remove some of our fleet into the Atlantic, but you must understand, Churchill, that we must focus now on Japan, at least in the short term. Well, Clement Natalie, he's a fool, he's a socialist. Yes, of course. We will send you as many arms as we can. And Again, I must really state, we are in this together now, Churchill. Come up to you. What, 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 chili. Meanwhile... In England. Well, I want to thank you, Roosevelt, for your conversation. I, I think we've got a good route to defeating Hitler. Well done. God damn, Hickory! Baseball, yeehaw! My, my thoughts exactly on such a sensitive nature with the royal family.